0: Okay, well, we are starting off a new series tonight uh, that's going to run for the next few months in in, in the fall. And it's titled An Exemplary Life. And it comes from 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. And maybe this is a, a familiar verse once you hear it. And this is what Paul says to Timothy He says, Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And and, and Paul's saying something that's a little bit unique to Timothy in that verse, all right? Timothy's not just anybody. He's not just some teenager somewhere. He's, He's actually a pastor. He's an elder In a local church, in a church in Ephesus, but he's young, and it's a little interesting there because, you know, Paul says, don't let anybody look down on you for being young, and it tells you a little bit about the difference in cultural values in in his day and ours. Uh, because today, we, we, we tend to celebrate you know, youth and beauty and, and out with the old, then with the new. Uh, they they, value, they valued gray hair back then, and so it, it, was a, it was a strike against you. Now, i got plenty of grays coming in, so that, maybe that helps me out a little bit. But um, there's a, there was this anticipation that, that Timothy, people are probably going to discount you a little bit, discount your, your influence in, in the church because of your age, now that, that's an important word for us, and, and you know we're, we're all about doing hard things together in, in the group here, uh, but it's also very common for you know, in youth groups to, to hear some message about, "Hey, guys, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but what? You know what, what do I do instead?" And well, there's, there's more to the verse here, and, he, and this is what he says. He says, "But set an example," and then he gives some specific things, and, and, and that's what's going to be our, our framework for. Our series here, we, we saw at youth camp in, in the book of Thessalonians that Paul noticed the way that they were setting an example in the surrounding region, that even though they had, they had only been Christians for a matter of months, people were already looking to the, the Thessalonians to know what does it look like to be a Christian, to be a Christian business person, to, to talk like a Christian, to represent Jesus in, in a world that, that opposes Christ and his claims, they were setting an example, even though they were, they were young Christians. And in the same case, uh, the, the Bible speaks to us. Many of us have actually been believers longer than the people in Thessalonica were. And yet it tells us, set an example. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're 13, 14, 17. They, there's to be a demonstration coming from your life that other people can follow and, and say, I, I want to be like that. There's there's something different about that person. He, she, she's not con- concerned about all the same stuff that everybody else is. He, he's about something more than I'm used to, and so I want to I want to model. I want to use them as a model for my life. So uh, I, I was wanting to you know I'd mentioned that I was wanting us to to study the subject of integrity. And I ended up landing in, in this series, but it still gets at what I was hoping to achieve because these categories he says set an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. It's basically all the all the settings of life both in front of people, in public and in private. And 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 the opposite of having an integrity, we said, is being compartmentalized, right? Kind of being broken apart into little pieces, where you do the Christian thing in this setting, but not this setting. And there's not consistency, there's not consistency in your speech. There's not consistency in your in your purity in seeing all of these things as being under the authority and the claims of, of Jesus. And so he's he's saying that whether you're in, in youth group or you're in, you know, with your home with your family or with your friends, whatever the setting, that there would be something exemplary coming from your, your life. And and so tonight, uh, we're gonna we're gonna look at each of these categories and tonight we're gonna talk about exemplary speech. So if you would turn to James chapter three. Turn in your Sturdy paper Bible that you've brought with us, or you are so poor and from a third world country that you can't afford a Bible. You can, well, you know, help yourself to one of ours. All right, um, there is there's a certain skill that a select few teenagers have, and, and it belongs to the teens that have been trained in the mountains by monks in foreign lands or maybe they grew up among Aboriginal people or like the the, the special class of of X-Men, they have mutated to gain superhuman powers. And it's this, it's an ability to carry on a face-to-face conversation for more than five minutes. Right, the the, the reality is as a society, uh, person-to-person interaction seems to be increasingly rare especially when it comes to speaking with people that we're unfamiliar with. And you know, let me just give you a little thought scenario here. You are waiting in an elevator with a complete stranger, All right. Do you, A, ask them how they're doing, B, begin to tell them your life story, C, pull out a Brady and show them a card trick you just learned, or D, open up your smartphone and start to catch Pokemon, uh, their, the device allows us to, to have a little bit of rescue in those uncomfortable moments. But, but actually, there, there's been a, a special invention that's designed to prevent us from ever having to experience this, this torturous thing of interacting with another human being. And, and they're called the hair of the silence earplugs. And this is what it says. It says, sometimes simple earplugs are not just enough. If you crave for complete silence, you also need to make people stop wanting to talk to you. (laughs) Luckily, a a savvy Lithuanian couple, Solvegia and Alfredis Kravice, created the hair of the silence earplugs. Once put in your ears, they look like a naturally grown bush. Besides making you deaf for the moment, they also work as a repellent, chasing away all the chatty people. well, you know, face-to-face communication is, is at an all-time low today, but uh, that hasn't taken away our use of words. You know, we, we, we use words every day in text exchanges and group messages and all forms of social media, and we continue to speak with our families and friends and people that occupy our world, And so altogether, we, we still use about 16,000 words every day. Uh, girls a little bit more than the guys, but still, we will use a lot of words. And, and Proverbs 10 verse 19 says this, and, and, and a proverb, it's like a statement that's so true, it's obvious, and it says, when words are many, sin is not absent. And that's a problem. And, and it's actually a concern for James in this, in this passage. He, he's been addressing speech throughout this letter. You know, we're just dropping in to, to what's going on here. But at this point, he's already told his readers to be slow to speak and to be quick to listen. But here, he, he wants us to give this, this topic our full attention. And he starts with bringing a warning. He, he begins this chapter with what might seem like an odd instruction. So James 3... Verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That might seem like a little bit of an odd way to start out a chapter of the Bible, right? You know, look, guys, I know some of you are tempted to become teachers, but really the, the pay's no good, just major in engineering or something like that. Uh, well, obviously, he's, he's talking about teaching in the context of the church, but, but why is this here? Why does he say that? Well, because teaching involves using words. And James is about to address our, our speech, and teaching means speaking. It, it's the only way to do it. You tell people about God's truth in a way that reflects his wisdom and, and holiness, and so it comes with a particular responsibility. And, and one time I was listening to a, a message where John Piper was addressing some, some pastors at a conference, and he just was, was pointing out what's, what's different about the pastoral profession from you know, other jobs that you can have. right? You, you could be a, a really great surgeon— and, and, and not have to talk at all with your patient. You could arrive in after they've gone under anesthesia, and, and, and as long as you've done your job correctly and zipped them up and put everything back in place the way it's supposed to go, it doesn't matter if you've had an engaging conversation or not, right? You, you, don't, you don't care as a patient. But it's not the same with pastors, right? Ministry, the work of ministry, it's a, it's a work of words, And so it necessarily involves communicating truth, and he recognizes this, and so he limits who will function in this role. He says, people who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And guys, you know what? The Bible doesn't say everybody's judged in the same way and according to the exact same standard. When it comes to on the last day, weighing what we've done, and, and, and I hate to tell you this, the, the more you're around this truth and the more you know about it, the more culpable you are, the more you're accountable because you, you're now informed, right? And that's interesting to consider. But what he says about teachers is there is a, a particular judgment that they will face, that they will have to give an answer to, to the Lord Jesus Christ on the last day. And guys, I want you to know, I, I, I treat that very Seriously. When it comes to proclaiming God's word and wanting to represent him accurately and and discern your needs, this this is something that it it, it forces me to pray and plead with God. Lord, Lord, help me. Help me get you right. Help me understand them and their needs. And and Lord, enable me to serve because I, I recognize that judgment is coming. But he says that many should not Uh, become teachers, And, and the implication, you know, has an implication for our speech as well, for all of us. And what it means is this, that you are not each other's teachers, okay? You are each other's peers. And I hope that you, you are a positive influence on, on one another. You know, I love your friendships, and I regularly pray the Lord would use your friendships to, to, to be a, an influence in, in your lives toward Christ. And the whole point of this series is how you're, you're called to set an example for one another, right? So that there, there's significance to that, but, but you are not one another's teachers. And here's why I say this. We need to be careful with how we give and receive opinions in our circumstances, right? Who's our audience, and who are we receiving from? Who do we kind of tune into? I really care about what this person has to say. And chances are, it's the people who are most like you, who are most close to you in age, who think like you. Those are the people that you kind of want to listen from, right? And there's a strong temptation to do that. But chances are, you're going to go to people who are not designed To be your teachers. It's not always the case that your friends will provide wise and godly counsel in the situations you face and share with them. Right here, here are just some examples of things your friends may have told you or that you might have said to them. What about this? You have a right to be upset. I mean, look at what she did. Or, do your parents just don't have a clue? Or, your dad's insane. I'm glad he's not my dad. What about this? Technically, it's not cheating. Since it's only homework, so let's copy off each other, right? And, and that's easy to accept. And well, if they say so, I guess it's not cheating, right? They're the standard of that all of a sudden now. Uh, it's not gossip because people should know about this. They, they need to know what this person did to you. And so you should share it. You should tell everyone. Blast up that text exchange, right? Opinions that shape you, shape how you think, and teach you to live in ways that we need to be careful. What, what, what all these statements have in common is that none of them reflects biblical principles of wisdom. And so don't allow yourselves to be taught by them and don't teach others this kind of thinking, right? Uh, not many should become teachers. In other words, we should be slow to speak. And, and this is informed by the next statement he says. Look at verse 2. For, or because, we all stumble in many ways. We are misguided by our sin, and our speech, it it provides the perfect opportunity for that stumbling to be expressed, and so we need to be careful in in what we say to one another and what we receive. We need to be discerning in what we receive from others, even if they're in this room. Everybody everybody look at the person next to you and give them the suspicious raised eyebrow. Don't you hate it when speakers make you do lame stuff like that? All right. Uh, question for you, what is the secret to perfection? Now, what comes to mind for that? Well, I, I uh, consulted the authority of the age, Google, uh, to see what would show up. And, and here's one of the top results, secret of perfection right here. Achieving flawless skin is the ultimate goal and pe- can be gained perfectly with airbrushing. Originally used for celebs, fashion photo shoots, and HDTV, nowadays airbrushing is more commonly used for brides and special occasion makeup. Julianne from Airbase popped into the college yesterday to give our makeup students a demo on the art of airbrushing and achieving perfect results, and blah, blah, blah. At that point, I gave up reading. Uh, But but this is where most people in our culture go when they think about perfection, right? They think about physical beauty. But James tells us what the true secret to perfection is. Look at what he says, verse 2. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able even to bridle his whole body. I feel this. James is saying, if you can control your tongue, you're perfect. You've achieved perfection. To be able to guard your speech is to achieve perfection. And commentator J. Alec Mateer says, to win the battle of the tongue is to win all battles. And, and we'll see why in a moment, because he's going to tell us how our speech reveals what's in our hearts. But the fight for speech is a fight for faith, and it touches every aspect of our lives. And so if you can control your tongue, you're able to control your body, which is just another way of saying your, your entire course of life, right? If you can exercise self-control over what you say, then you can exercise self-control over what you do. And and here's how we illustrate this point. Verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, it's an interesting word, obey us. We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Right, The, the tongue, it's like a, a bridle for a horse or a rudder for a ship. It's a small object with powers and capabilities that are disproportionate to its size, and so it needs to be carefully guarded. He's telling us to call forth obedience from our tongues, to to bring them into submission. In other words, you don't let your tongue call the shots, right? You, You don't just let it run Wild. You don't let anything haphazardly slip out of your mouth and apologize for it later. You know, speak first, edit second. That's not how it's supposed to happen. You, you control it. You're the one who's in charge. He's calling for us to take an active posture when it comes to our speech and not just say the first thing that enters our minds. And it may be the horse and bridle metaphor is a little outdated for us, but, but just think about a, a car and a steering wheel. And how a a multi-ton machine is controlled by something that, if you're my wife, you can just steer with like one finger, you know. Uh, and 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 to my fear, um, I didn't say that. And, and and don't listen to the recording, Rebecca. Um, but you know, Nathan will tell you, you can have you can have a mess that comes if you're if you're hitting the gas pedal and you're not in control over the video uh, the vehicle. Uh, he came across a car that was. Sp- spun out, they're running away from the police, flipped over, and uh, rather than trying to help the person, he ran home and got his camera and then took a picture of it. So that's what happened this week. Um, but James, he's, he's introducing us to the fact that our words have profound potential. They're, they're more than just the way that we typically think about them, right? They have the ability to be a blessing to others and to hurt them deeply, to create relationships and to destroy them, to build others up in the faith and to tear them down to nothing, to worship the Lord and to curse his name. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it, yet it boasts of great things, some devastating things words have great potential and by God's design you know in in the same way that we're the ones who designed a ship to have a rudder and a car to have a steering wheel God designed communication to be significant in our lives and ultimately for our good and the reason he did that is because he is a speaking God one of the first things you find out about God in the Bible is that he talks right And God said, that's that's what introduces what God does in the Bible. And so Paul David Tripp says, "You, you do not really understand the significance of words until you realize that the first words that humans ever heard were not the words of another human being, but the words of God. The value of every piece of human communication is rooted in the fact that God speaks into the sights and sounds of the newly created world came the voice of God speaking words of human language to Adam and Eve. When God chose to reveal himself that way, he raised talk to a place of highest significance as his primary vehicle of truth. Through words, we would come to know the most important truth that could be known. Truths that reveal God's existence and glory. Truths that give Life. And so words they're they're capable of, of wonderful things by God's plan. And yet, James gives us a, a, a portrait of speech that's pretty negative here. Look at verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire control your tongue, then you can achieve perfection, here he says, and nobody can do that. No human being can tame the tongue, which is just another way of saying that we're we're not going to be perfect until heaven. But but notice how drastic this language is. You know, verse 5 through 8, this unrelentingly negative picture of the tongue and the destruction it's capable of, right? It's a fire, verse 5, it's an unrighteous world. He says it's spoiling and burning creation. It's inflamed by hell. It's murderous in its power. It's an untamable beast and it's restless and poisonous evil. He he considers the tongue to be a weapon of mass destruction. Years ago, we went into Iraq to look for... Weapons of mass destruction, not realizing that all along we had them inside of our mouths. And, and, and you know, we've all experienced something of what James is talking about here. I know that's strong language, could be a little disorienting. But, you know, you would have to either not be human or just live your entire life on Antarctica to not experience what he's talking about here. We know what it's like to be hurt. We 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 know the damage and the confusion that can come into our lives because of something stupid that somebody says. And we know ways that situations just got kind of outside of our control, and I didn't anticipate that she would respond like that or that my parents would react like that when I said it, and if I could just pull it back, if I could just you know insert it back into my mouth, I'd replay it. But we know we all stumble in many ways. The very first sin after the fall was a sin of speech. Right? Genesis 3.12, the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. And so he bit the fruit and he tasted the juice and, and the first words to come out of his mouth were a string of excuses. He blames his wife, and ultimately he blames God for his own failure. And in that moment, Adam declared a war of, of words that everybody else has gotten enlisted in ever since. The sins of the tongue, they're, they're as varied as our taste buds, right? Just listen to this list of ways that we sin in our speech, they, they include lying and half-truths, gossip and slander, disrespectful speech, improper tone of voice, idle words or careless or, or pointless speech, insincere talk, not really meaning what you say. Your, your words, you just throw them around, they're thin, you have no intention, you've, you've got no care about... You know, maybe the empty promises you make to friends or parents. Flattery, you know, that's a form of insincere talk. Proud, self-promoting words. Biting sarcasm. Grumbling and complaining. Foul language and crude joking. Self-righteous, critical judgments. Mockery. Telling secrets or disclosing confidential information. And we can also sin with our tongues by remaining silent when we're supposed to speak up. When you should have said something, you should have addressed that, and you stayed quiet, you're still sinning in your speech. It doesn't matter what our personality is, in one way or another, we will express the sin in our hearts through our words. We will use our words to flatter someone to their face in one moment, and then turn behind their back and use the same tongue to destroy their reputation. Uh, welcome to middle school and high school, right? In case you f- forgot what it's like, that's what's coming your way, and you're going to be tempted to do it, as well. And he says, "A great forest is set ablaze by such a small fire." Uh, my son Knox has been really into this show lately called Fireman Sam. Anybody heard of Fireman Sam? It was like some old st- uh, stop claymation uh, uh, Welsh show that got remade. Recently or whatever, basically it's a it's a rescue show. Now I don't know why the people whenever they call the fire department they always call Fireman Sam. Nobody else gets credit. Fireman Sam steps in and he he saves the day. And and you know all the people are like brushing the flames off their clothes. He gets thanked. So it's kind of weird like that. But basically every episode of the show is in one way or another uh, c- there's some sort of problem that's caused by this really annoying punk named Norman Price. And he does something uh, that is careless or malicious and somehow he set something on fire or strangled a cat or I don't know. know, He's just done something stupid and I don't know why they they allow him to continue to exist in the town. I would have cut off his hands and feet and exiled him long ago. Uh, But the dude is just oblivious to the fact that he, he does something careless and puts the entire town in danger. And, you know, uh, only you can prevent forest fires. Uh, you, you guys, like, grew up here. Did they, did they say that stuff in your school? Or is that just my generation where I was told, only, only me. Stay back, everybody else. I'm the one who can prevent forest fires. Uh, but the point is, something left unattended, a, a careless spark, it can set ablaze acres of woods on fire. And a careless word can produce even more damage. All right, you guys know what a pilot light is? If I, if I talk about a pilot light, a little, little flame uh, that is kind of ignition source for gas-powered gas, gas powered, uh, appliances and stuff like that, and it's kind of always there. You got to light it first, and then you turn up the gas, and it's there. You know, it's able to provide heat for your stove or whatever it is. Uh, if Steve Lemoyne were here, he'd tell us all about it, but he's not. Um, but there, there is, inside of all of us, biblically, there, there's a a pilot light called indwelling sin. There's stuff inside of us, and there's stuff inside of all the people around us. There are, there are motivations and fears and, and ways that we're twisted up inside and, and uh, things that we are ambitious about, uh, idols that exist inside of us. Okay, so that, that's going on inside of us. There's this, this pilot light. And what words do, words don't make anybody sin but they can throw gasoline on the fire. And, and you have no idea that what, what you're saying and the way that's gonna interact with that little flame that's inside of them and all of a sudden it combusts and it's gotten out of hand. And maybe you don't even realize the reaction you're having toward something that somebody is saying. But our speech can take the smallest and pointless conflicts and escalate them way out of proportion you know maybe you're talking with your mom and she's giving you instructions about how she's going to pick you up after an event and where she wants you to be and then you know don't go away and wander off and make sure you answer your phone and you kind of just uh, get annoyed about that and, and say you know mom I'm not a toddler even though you're kind of acting like a toddler in the in the, in the moment and, and then the argument uh, it, it, it all of a sudden turns and becomes about something else because you went there and you bit back with your words and, and the conversation could have gotten resolved and now that's not even the issue anymore. And, and she's offended by how you've spoken to her and now you're, you're, you're back and forth about something else entirely. Uh, you have a disagreement with your friend. You know, you got different opinions about something that you, you hold strongly and, and then, you know, in the course of the conversation you just call them an idiot, And you you were kind of joking, but you kind of were a little hurtful in how you did that. And then all of a sudden, they responded in a way that you didn't anticipate how that word would make them react. And then they're cold to you. Uh, Your younger siblings ask you a question. And you answer it, but in a tone that makes them feel like they're the stupidest person in the world for asking that question or being concerned about something like that. And so they lash out at you, or they go internal, or parents Maybe, maybe your kids are disrespecting you and, and, and the way that they're interacting with you and treating you, is, is, it's, it's kind of boiling your blood a little bit. And soon enough, what comes out is, I don't deserve to be treated like this. I give and give for you. And this is the thanks that I get. And you start raising your voice and they shut down or they turn and punish you in some way. And all of a sudden, words got added into the mix of something and set ablaze a forest, the words themselves in all these circumstances weren't the initial problem but they intensify the conflict and, that, and that's why he calls the tongue a restless evil. It's like it's always on the scene it's always there, it's always shown up for work and, and clocked in and available to produce pain and, and it calls to mind the, the restlessness of Satan himself when he roams about like a restless lion wanting to devour somebody. And, and, and later he's going to actually say that things like jealousy and ambition and deceit are demonic in origin. They, it has a diabolical inspiration. And that brings us to his final point about the forked tongue. Look at verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And what he's highlighting here is the, the tongue's uncanny inclination toward Duplicity. Right? You guys know what duplicity is, if I use that word? Merriam-Webster says, Duplicity is a contradictory doubleness of thought, speech, or action. The belying of one's true intentions by deceptive words or action. And there's this, this category in James that comes up from time to time. He talks about double-mindedness. It's like you're loyal to two different things at the same time. And your speech can reflect that as well. In a moment, you sound like you're loyal to loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And the next moment, you're loyal to a whole bunch of other things that are only about you. And he's saying it's like you have a forked tongue, right? It extends out in in two different directions. We worship the Lord with our speech, as I hope you did a few moments ago, and then we tear down our brothers and sisters, and parents and teachers with the same. We say something that's amazingly true about God, and then moments later, we say whatever it takes to get what we want. Now, all right, biology quiz for you guys what kind of animal has a forked tongue? The snake, right? Uh, the serpent that was present in the garden that led all of us astray with his speech to question God's speech, right? Hath God said, and he's been, he's been known as the father of lies ever since. And, and, and it's like he, he's there, he's an influence, he's, he's scripting out words for us to say that we, we draw from and say, that would be really useful for me and we're just oblivious to where it's, it's coming from. How can we escape this? Because it's a struggle. And, and I trust, you know, if I haven't said just the right illustration or scenario for you, there, there's some way where you know this is true of you. Because I know it's true of me. He says a salt pond can't yield fresh water. Which means you can't just you know, change out the bucket that you've drawn from the water. You have to change out the pond. It's got to change. And, and Jesus says in Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, which means you, you can never say, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> it just doesn't work, right? I'm just pulling one excuse away from you right now. Uh, no, you meant to say that, and now you wish you hadn't said that. But you meant to say it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have said it. But Jesus is saying that our speech always tells us. It's it's raising up an advertisement of what's going on inside of our hearts. And so if God's going to win over our speech, he needs to win over our hearts. We can't be double-minded. There needs to be an allegiance inside of us, first and foremost, to God and that determines, that, that provides a conviction about the way that I talk. Paul David Tripp goes on to say, The war of words is only won when God rules our hearts so that we gladly and consistently speak for him. That's some interesting words right there. It means you're, you're not reluctant to speak in a way that honors God. You you don't begrudgingly do so because there are people looking over your shoulder. It's a joy because he's your love and you want to honor him in what you say, the kinds of things you'll say and not say, the ways you'll treat other people with your words. You, You gladly give that over to him and consistently because you're not compartmentalized. You have integrity when it comes to your speech. And that happens when he rules our hearts. Right? And so that's a question for you. Has God won your heart? Still holding back territory and and places that are going to serve your pet idols and desires? One way to think of it is, you know, James talks about blessing and cursing coming from the same mouth and that this shouldn't be but does worship come from your mouth right do, do you use your words to glorify god to, to sing that's you know, just uh, it, it's evidence it doesn't mean necessarily that the person who's singing really hard you know is really uh on fire for the lord people can do that and it'd be a whole show But it'd be hard to say that somebody is won over by God and them not do that. And so it's a demonstration. He has me. And so my words glorify him. I I like to say what is true, to speak his praise, to celebrate his beauty and his significance and his wonder. It overflows. All right, well, I'm just going to close with this thought quickly. Paul talks about speech that's been won over by the gospel in Ephesians 4. So we're going to close by turning there. So flip back Ephesians earlier in the New Testament. Ephesians 4. What does it look like to set an example in your speech? Well, it means you you avoid all the stuff that James was just talking about, right? You're intentional about that. You're aware. And positively, it means you're using your words to do the kinds of stuff that Paul says here, all right? Ephesians 4, I'm just going to pull from a a few verses in this passage. Verse 15, Rather, so I'm not going to read all that comes before it, but there's a bunch of nonsense you're not supposed to do. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who's the head, into Christ. You want to grow up as a Christian? You want to mature? You want to to become an example to others? You speak the truth in love, right? That's what he's saying there. Look at verse 25. Therefore... Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Right? Verse 29. I don't know if you guys ever had to like write this Bible verse as punishment lines or something. But let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only such as is good for building up. As fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Uh, there's just a lot in, in this, this passage and I'm not able to draw it all out. But I mean, if you just were to take Paul's descriptions here and you'd, you'd put it as a lens and, and you'd run it over your words. And you'd see how do, I, how do I grade by this standard? in In what I'm saying... And why I'm saying it. Because he addresses both of those things, right? What do you say? What do you talk about? Well, it's not falsehood, but truth. And, and that means truth as in honesty. It means that you, you don't give place to lying in all of its forms. And guys, it, it's concerning to me sometimes how comfortable. And I don't know if this is a cultural thing that we're just adopting, But it's concerning how comfortable some of you are with lying. With just choosing to say, I'm just not going to tell them what's really going on there. To the people who ought to know, mainly your parents, maybe your teachers. The people in authority that deserve the truth. Everybody deserves the truth in the sense that they're made in God's image. And, and you're okay with saying, I'm going to hand them something else and said that I know that, I, that, that is false. Right? That's a problem. That lacks integrity. If you find you're, you're doing that, that's, that's a regular temptation. and It's one you're giving in to. You ask yourself, is my heart won over by God? Why am I okay with that? Why is that so easy for me to do? Right? So that's what it means to speak the truth. But he means something a little bit beyond just mere honesty. He means kind of speak the truth with the capital T. And what he's saying is you speak the truth about God. You, you speak the truth of the gospel, right? And, and, and Mr. Andy helped us with this really uh, well a month ago or so about what the truth is and its role in our lives. And there's a calling on us to represent it, to talk about it, Right? In a way that's like not optional, like right? that—that's really supposed to happen. That God's thoughts matter to you, and and the hope of what we have in Christ is something you talk about. You—it's normal to speak about. It's normal in, in settings like this and with one another, as we believe these things, and to speak about it with those in in the world who need to to hear it, right? We, not falsehood, but but truth. Not corrupting talk. But what is good, right? There's There's the kind of talk that just stirs in a little bit of corruption and it's like you just poked a lot of holes into whatever y'all were talking about by mixing in corruption, mixing in thoughts and ideas and attitudes that don't help. They just poke holes in what's taking place, right? Not corrupting talk, but talk that builds up, doesn't tear down. It helps. It helps people understand things better, It helps the circumstances, right? And then what you say and why you say it. What's motivating what comes out of your mouth? Well, he talks about two things. One, speak the truth in love. You are honest when you really love the people. And so if if you're lying to somebody, you, you don't really love them the way that Christ loves them. And if you're withholding, the truth about God, you don't really love them the way that God is calling you to love them. but, but you know typically we are if we're managing anything about what we're saying and, and often it's just coming out without much management. But if we're managing it, the, the, the guiding principle is, how is this going to help me out? You know How is this going to help my case or make me seem impressive or make me seem funny? I, what, what words can I use? To serve my agenda. And he says, No, that's not what should motivate what you say. It's what's what's going to be loving toward the people that I'm in a conversation with. And, and the way that he describes it is that it may give grace to those who hear. Grace is just, it's 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 undeserved favor, it's the kindness of God, and it, it comes to us in many forms. And by definition, by the way, it comes to the undeserving. And so if you're waiting for the person you're interacting with to deserve you extending grace, you don't get the whole grace thing, and you don't get why grace has come to you. But if you recognize that as one who has received the grace of God, I'm called to extend it, and how I talk to people, right? That, that, that'll change your motivation in in what you say, all right? I'll just give you two thoughts to close. One, and, and, and guys, write this down. If you got a pen, if not, think about it. We'll talk about it in our groups. And talking about talk, on the back of the notes, is a faith talk. Don't forget about these parent discussion guides. Here's how you can apply this message right away is when, one, parents... Ask your teenagers these questions. It's loving for you to do that. And when you're asked these questions, talk with them in love and tell the truth, all right? Uh, but, so some, some of that's there, but we'll, we'll discuss about this. But here's a question for you. What kind of speech, we talked about a lot of things, what kind of speech is God calling for you to avoid, to repent of? How do you use your words in a way that do not set an example, and and do not honor God. What can you think of? All right. Second question, how do you want to grow in having your words be more influential toward what is true and good? How do you want to set an example in what you say and using what you say to be about God's truth and for his glory, okay? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your insight and your wisdom, Lord, and, and how it is so true to our experience because you know us, you, you know how we're made, you know our problems, and Lord, you come with remedy, and we want this, God. We, we, don't, want to, we don't want to be setting blaze for us in our lives. Lord, we, we, we really want to bring glory to you and so guard our words, God, guard us, help us, Lord, having won over our hearts, and we give them to you, all the spaces of our hearts, Lord, we don't maintain any allegiance for us and for pleasure and for stuff that is not of you, Lord, we hand it over to you and so we ask of you to make use of our words in a way that honors you, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, don't move. I know. Amen. It has some weird psychological effect that sends you guys.